Hey, Taylor. How are you, girl? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. You know, just trying to live the dream and kill the game every day. Yeah, I feel that. (laughs) How's how's been training your classes going? It's been going really well. Um, I actually just took a week off, though, from training to go on a little vacation. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Where'd you go? I went out to uh, Breckenridge, actually, to do some camping out in the mountains. It was pretty spectacular, kind of cold. I mean, Breck is already. Beautiful. Yeah, Breck is yeah. very beautiful. That's awesome. That's awesome. What was the best part about your trip? Um, Probably just getting to disconnect from the world for a little while and, uh, you know, really enjoy my surroundings and um, just... Be one with nature, a little too one with nature. Um, my tent kind of gave out at the very end there. <laughs> we went to the primitive campgrounds and it got a little sketchy. Oh, I'm sorry. I've definitely had that happen before. Bad tents and bad camping gear makes for an epic trip. No bueno sometimes, <laughs> but definitely an epic trip. Oh, Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of... It was good timing because it was there at the very end, but I'm definitely going to have to do some replacing in some of my gear. I know you are into that kind of stuff, right? Like, do you have any recommendations? Yeah, so I'm a big fan of Nemo. Uh, They kind of came on the scene a little while ago, and they've been around for a while, but their tents are awesome. And it's funny enough, the owner of the company had an experience much like you, and it just failed him and he was infuriated with it and then so then he set out to create amazing amazing products and if you're going to be doing like a lot of backpacking you know they make an aurora that is really good um but i would definitely check them out and if you decide to purchase anything from them if you use the promo code sends and suffers 20 you get 20 percent off you help the podcast okay i'm sold i'm definitely checking this out all right Well, hey, I look forward to seeing you in the gym later on this week, and I'm still excited. I'm going to try to catch one of your fitness classes, but i got to jump off here. But uh, it's good catching up with you, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Sounds great. I'll see you later. Friends and enemies, lovers and haters, welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. If you're enjoying Sends and Suffers podcasts, please like, follow, and subscribe on all our social media platforms and on whatever platform that you're listening to. If you can, take a moment to leave a comment. That does us a lot of good. If you absolutely cannot get enough of Sends and Suffers podcasts, then check us out on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, which is like grabbing a taco with your boy and just hanging out. You get to hear upcoming episodes, talk to the community, learn what we have coming out, and most importantly, get plugged in to what I've got going on. I'd love to see you on there. 
And once again, thank you for listening to Sins and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. Today's episode is a continuation of my conversation with Caleb, one of the photographers at the World Cup this past summer. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. It brings me a lot of joy and makes me cringe remembering what I saw. I hope you enjoy today's episode with Caleb. Uh, yeah, okay, so Caleb, broken leg. Yes. Shark meat, titanium rods. Yes, so I have a titanium rod uh, that is the length of my lower leg from my knee to my foot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually somebody who has more medical experience than I will uh, will laugh at this, but I did not know that when they put a nail in your leg, it doesn't mean that they put it beside your bone. It means that they core drill through your bone and put it inside of your bone. So they had to surgically make the incision in my knee and then drill down all the way through. And I apologize. This is getting very graphic, but it basically connects the interior parts of my tibia. And then I have four screws, uh, two on each end of the bone that holds my uh, tibia together. And then they surrounded the break with bone cement. But wait then on my f- bone cement. Bone cement. It is an adhesive that is of similar structural integrity to your bone. Uh, and it essentially surrounds the break until your body can reform the bone. Okay. Yeah. We're getting into the science fiction portion of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know bone cement was yeah, a thing. It's a real thing. It's wild. I'm going to look for this at my local hardware store. Yes. Um, so that's the story of my tibia. My fibula was very, very broken and shattered into multiple pieces. I should probably, before I continue. Uh, I mean, it's tell a podcast. This. It's not like people can see it. Yeah. Um, I should probably uh, tell a story of how I broke it. Yeah, I was I was wondering instead if we were of unpacking the break itself. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure our doctoral our custom, uh, what is it? Our doctoral listeners mm-hmm. are like really enjoying this. I can get I I did get very very. We talked about wormhole wormholes earlier. I researched an inordinate amount about the type of break that I had, and I discovered way too many graphic YouTube videos of surgeries. It was wild. Anyway, backing up uh, chronologically nine months ago, I was bouldering at a little place called Stonefort uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yep, yep. Uh, and there is a highball boulder problem there called storming the castle. I've heard of this. It is a highball V1 in the guidebook. TBD, whether it's actually a V1. Um, but I was there uh, bouldering with a friend and we ran into some other guys who were there. And they were like, oh, we're going to go do storming the castle. I was like, oh, cool. I've never done that one before. I'll go check it out with you. So one of the guys just absolutely cruised it made it look chill and i was like oh that looks fine i'll also do this highball v1 so i jumped on it uh got through and it's one of those boulders that like fools you at first it's like very it's pretty chill at the beginning but it progressively gets harder towards the top and then the crux move is the top move um so it eased me into it it wooed me in and i was like oh yeah i can do this i can do this highball 
and I get to the top and I'm like, hmm, this feels a little spicy. And I made a more dynamic move than I probably should have. And my right foot slipped. So I fell 20 feet and my left foot hit the pad, but my right foot did not. It landed in between the pad and the wall. And it was just enough uh, height and just the right angle that I had an open compound tib fib fracture. I made eye contact with my bone and said, hmm, that's that's not right. And then because I'm a psycho, I pulled out my phone and took a picture of it. Do you still Uh, have it? I do still have the photo. Yes. Oh, I got to see this. It's pretty grody. Um, I'll pull it out as I continue to tell the story. But the... Before I saw what had happened, um, the first thing that I saw was my friend Jacob and his face was just pure shock and fear. And and that was my first cue of like, oh, something's wrong. And then I looked down and the saw my leg. The was not your first cue yeah. that something no, was wrong. No, no. Your friend's well, face. When something like ha- that happens, people who have gone through significant trauma will know and understand like – you're in shock. You just don't know. It doesn't compute. Your body needs time to comprehend that something has gone horribly wrong. I mean, I, I get that. But the bone out of the body yes. wasn't enough. <laughs> no, it was not enough. Um, so luckily, one of the guys that we had been climbing with had his uh, woofer, his wilderness first responder certification. So while Jacob went to call the paramedics, uh, this guy, this rando that I had just met that day, literally held my foot and my leg together until the paramedics arrived. Yeah. yeah. I was like, you're, you're my hero. Get your woofer. I've ha- I, yes, I need to redo. Your woof- get your woofer. I've re- Everyone. I need to redo mine, but it's probably the one... I will say this, your woofer is the one course that you can take in your life where you'll be like, blah, blah, blah. But when you go through it, you're like, blah, blah, blah. But when that one moment happens, Mm -hmm. whether it's a car crash, um, which is more likely someone getting hit, a pedestrian, breaking their leg or something, another. But yeah. Yeah, uh, I was about to ask, like, did you guys have enough, not enough pads or was it this? No, it was just like, no. it was just a sitch. We had plenty of pads. Just I, we had plenty of pads. My my friends were actively spotting. Um, this is a slab problem. Oh. Yeah. So because okay. I fell at the top, uh, what I should have done was kick out so that I landed squarely in the pads. But because I fell straight down, I kind of cheese grated down. And that's why I landed in between the pad and the wall. Here's the photo. Oh, let me zoom see in. It. Zoom in on that. No, bad boy. I'm not zooming in. Oh, God, I'm zooming in. <laughs> you got oh, it. Dude, this thing looks like blaming young. Yeah, bro. You got to see the chunks. Bro. I see your freaking man meat. And we're yeah. and this is still then. Yes, this is PG. <laughs> Bro. Yeah. so needless to say it was a very significant injury and so after the paramedics arrive your phantoms looking like they were in good condition though yeah the freaking paramedics cut them off yeah he what, took what, what, he, what? he took his swizzers to my phantoms 
and uh, cut them off. I was pissed. I, I, damn. Yeah. I guess you can't really pull the shoe off at no, that point. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was genuinely terrified about that because they, they got there and my shoe was on and it was very tight and my foot was very loose, <laughs> very loosely connected to my leg. And he was just like, how am I going to get this off? And I was like, just go for it. So he cut a portion of it away, but then it had to like slowly, very carefully pull it off. And that was excruciating. But um, then when they put me into the ambulance, they took me to the closest hospital, which was a mistake because it's a pretty small hospital. So they processed, they processed me in. And uh, once the doctor actually came in, he looked at my leg and was like, Sir, I'm so sorry. We can't help you. We don't have the facility to to deal with a break of this significance. We have to transfer you to the larger hospital in town. So I had to get back into an ambulance, get taken to another hospital, get processed again. And that was a whole experience. Uh, but they took amazing care of me. The orthopedic surgeon was incredible. Dr. Gardner, shout out. You're awesome. Thank you so much for putting me back together. Um, so I was in the hospital for about a week. Um, but my favorite part of this story is about a month after I got out of the hospital, I was at a climbing event in Chattanooga at the Wahatchee boulders. And, uh, this climber friend of mine, Aaron Scott, who works in the orthopedic unit at the hospital where I was at, he comes up to me. He's like, Caleb, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. Uh, can I take a look at your leg for you? How are you feeling? Basically doing like a free checkup for me. Okay. And he takes a look at my leg and we're just chatting. He's like, Caleb, it's great to hear that you're healing. We talk about you at the hospital. I was like, what the fuck do you mean? He's like, you're a case study at Erlinger at the hospital. I was like, what the fuck do you mean? He said that if my bone had exited my leg centimeters to the left, it would have severed a crucial nerve and artery and they would have had to amputate my foot. You would have been a pirate. I would have been a pirate, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I do as often as possible throughout my life, try to embody as many pirate vibes as possible. This was not a planned part of that theme, but I would have been a pirate. I'm not going to lie. I think the universe was telling you maybe you were taking it too far previous yeah. to that and kind of proved the point. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, live your best life. I have been Jack Sparrow for four Halloweens. I could see you making a good Jack yeah. Sparrow. I could and I will be one again this year. Our our biggest fundraiser of the year, the SEC's biggest fundraiser <laughs> of the year is called BYOB, uh, Buy Your Own Boulder Field. It's great. It's it's I've rebranded it this year as our unhinged party for good. It's always been that, but it's never had that name. Uh, so it's always been spooky themed because it's always around Halloween. And it's we're the check in uh, the day before Triple Crown event, okay. the bouldering competition. Um, so it's usually spooky themed. People always dress up. It's it's uh, about as close to horseshoe hell without getting your eyes wet. It's ridiculous shenanigans um but this year it's going to be spooky pirate themed and i'm very excited for that because i have a six foot rubber ducky that i will be the pirate captain of i'm trying to find a little kiddie pool that i can bring into the event i'm also potentially trying to find a sponsor for a mechanical shark hello brands out there if you want to sponsor my mechanical shark i'd be I mean, like do they have to provide the mechanical shark or no, you they just know have to pay for it I've sourced the mechanical shark. 
I just have to pay multiple thousands of dollars for it. Is this like a mechanical bull? Yes, it's a mechanical bull, but it's in the shape of a shark. Oh. Yeah, so instead of a bull, it is a shark. I I mean, visually, I see this in my head. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm lost a little bit because I'm like, well, what happens if you fall backwards onto the fin? But I guess it's a soft fin. Yeah. You'll figure it out when it happens. I don't know. I'm here for it. Okay. Yeah. Um, Anyway, pirate vibes aside, I think one of the most interesting parts about that conversation with Aaron was that I had the initial shock, the the like picturing in my mind of what my life would have been like if I had lost my foot. And I I took that moment to like be present with that feeling and and have that hypothetical moment of like, whoa, I could have lost my foot. But very swiftly after that initial feeling of, oh, fuck, I had this knowledge and recollection of a good friend of mine who is he he owns his own prosthetic practice in Chattanooga, Mm -hmm. Ronnie Dixon. Amazing guy. Um, But he's a amazing, strong climber who lost his leg. And I. I thought about him and I thought about, man, like he would have taken care of me. I would have gone to him and and he's a friend. It, it wouldn't have been like a stranger. It would have been someone that is in my climbing community that I could have connected with and said, hey, like help me on this journey of of recovering back to uh, being able to climb again. And that gave me so much comfort and gave me so much gratitude for my community of climbers because I'm I'm just so blessed to know people who can help me recover from something as traumatic as that. And ever since my injury, I've I've had to obviously not climb, which mm-hmm. is a challenge. It's hard to not be able to engage with the sport that I love in the way that I love to do it. Yeah. But I've been very lucky to be able to still be very deeply invested in the climbing community through my work with the SEC. I've gotten to be around my climbing community a lot. I've gotten to empower other people to climb. Um, I've been able to facilitate climbing events. And I, I really did channel all of that energy that I would have put into climbing this past season. I put all of that into my work. And it's it's really been... A, not a steep learning curve, but a, a expansion of my understanding of what I'm capable of when it comes to my work, mm-hmm. because I've really enjoyed seeing what it looks like when I fully devote myself to creating opportunities for other people to climb. I mean, I think that's like the next level of anything, though. It's like once you you get into something so much that you move from the pupil stage to, you know, the provider stage. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons why they call it like a provider when the AMGA and all these Mm. other certs, like you move into the stage where you are now facilitating or providing the opportunity, providing the experience for everybody else around you and your community and you get involved. So that makes sense. It's beautiful. I mean, it's uh, one, I'm happy you have your leg Two, psych that you're now in a textbook. 
three. Um, it's cool that you were able to redirect that energy because like a lot of people, you know, you hear of like, there's a term for it. It's like, you know, something, I forget what it is, but there's a term for like skiers when they get hurt, they can't go down, they go into the deep depression. You know, I'm not saying it's like weather depression uh, or anything like that, but like, I I don't know what it is. And someone will say it out there of what it is. Uh, If you do know what it is, leave it in the comments. I would love definitely love to know. Um, But um, I think, uh, yeah, it's just nice that know that you like you were able to, to draw back, pull back and then redirect that because I feel like most people just kind of get into this woe is me status mm. uh, and then they just are like, just woe is me. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And then the, they start to feel like the world is happening to them mm. instead of the world is just happening around them Yeah, and understanding that like I can still affect the world for a greater good around me, even though my situation sucks. Yeah. Because like at that point, I think, you know, and I, I honestly, and now saying this, like, it also, it doesn't really surprise me because like you just did what any climber, good climber should do is just embrace the suck. Mm. You know, it's like in the moment, like, okay, I, you know, it's like the routes to, I can't do this way. I can't go that way. So what am I going to do? Embrace the suck. I'm just going to aid this thing and just like French free it and just like get up the wall. Like let's, <laughs> at this point, my ego, my pride, I'm not going to free climb this thing. Let's just like get it done. And I think you really kind of redirected that energy and that's beautiful. Um, I'd like to ask you, like, how did you get into photography? Because, yeah, because that's like in hearing about all your stories and your journeys, it's like, I know that's what you do. Yeah. But like, I don't, we really haven't talked about like, what was the inspiration? What was that? And then um, what keeps you shooting? Because Mm. I've met a lot of people I think with the advent of like, you know, obviously this has been a thing forever, but like digital cameras, cameras, like you can get a nice camera now mm-hmm. at a reasonable price. Yeah. And, I th- and I almost feel like there's such a surplus of them on the industry and in the market that you can get a nice used one, you know, and get it serviced or whatever. But like you can still get that. And like we were talking about, like even my equipment that I have now, I'm borrowing a friend's camera, but I have more lighting equipment and production equipment than I do actual camera equipment. I rent all my cameras just because almost everybody I know has a Sony A7. You know, everybody I know has, you know, a very nice Canon or or whatever, you know? And it's like, uh, yeah, but like, how i guess yeah what inspired you to get into this yeah so so if i'm hearing you correctly this is a two-part question how did i get into it and what keeps me doing it see cool so what got me into it um i was a climber before i was a photographer uh so really what got me into it was going on climbing trips and having this very deep desire to capture those moments and capture those trips and and be able to come home and tell stories better with visual uh representations because i i'm a very visual person mm-hmm. like if if i'm trying to recount something to someone i really prefer to have something to show them rather than just tell them about it um so my senior senior year of college um, my friends and I were like, oh, let, let's take a senior trip. We're graduating. Uh, let's go to Utah. So we went climbing in uh, Provo, Utah, uh, as well as Moab. Um, but, Provo. Yeah. Leading up to that trip, 
I was like, this is going to be a big adventure. Like this is my first time out West. I want to be able to capture this. Um, I had been inspired by amazing photographers like uh, John Glassberg, Jimmy Chin, Chris Picard. Like these were my favorite people to follow because they created such beautiful imagery from the places that they went, these beautiful, uh, incredible spaces. So I was like, that's what I want to be. Like, I'm not going to, I'm never going to be a professional athlete. Like I enjoy climbing and I enjoy the sport, but mm -hmm. I'm a creative. Like I really love to storytell in that way. That is something that I feel I can be a value add. Um, so for my birthday, my dad got me this like very cheap, dinky little point and shoot camera, uh, leading up to this trip. Very kind, very, very generous. I'm so thankful that he did that because that was a huge catalyst for me feeling what it was like to play that role on a trip. Mm. So I was not the like quote, quote trip leader. I was not the logistics guy. I was not the, um, uh, I, whatever. The, the, yeah. But your role was basically the journalist. I was the documentarian. Ah. I was the one who was like, Hey guys, like, let's make sure we remember this and remember it. Well, um, I, I wanted to find ways to capture the little details of the trip, not just the big wide landscapes, but the, the fact that we had loaded down a civic with a roof bike rack and a back bike rack. The fact that we uh, constantly ate Cheez-Its the whole trip, like that was just a theme of the trip. Like those little details, those storytelling details uh, were really fun for me. And I enjoyed doing that because it made me feel so much more present in those adventures. It was thinking through like, what are the, what are the elements that make this adventure special and unique to us? Not just uh, another climbing trip. But what are the inside jokes or the stories that we're going to be able to tell after this trip is done? So that experience of going on a climbing trip with people that I love, people that I was close with, and being able to capture those memories together was really, really special for me. Um, so that was the experiential catalyst for okay. photography. What really kickstarted photography for me was the year after I graduated college, I had the opportunity to live with a friend of mine who was a professional photographer and he mostly did wedding photography. He was very good at it, very talented. And he, uh, one day just said, Hey, like I've got this shoot this afternoon. What are you doing? Do you want to come hang out and, and shoot with me? And cause he knew that I had my like little point and shoot thing. Um, I was like, sure. Yeah, that sounds fun. And he let me borrow his like high level DSLR mm -hmm. professional piece of equipment. He just let me borrow it. He put it in my hands. was like, this is how you use it. Like, this is how you do aperture and ISO and all these like very technical terms that I had no idea at the time. Um, and he really took me under his wing. He mentored me and taught me everything uh, that I needed to know in order to be a professional photographer. So a uh, huge shout out to Christian Turner for, for being just a good friend and having that love yeah. to share 
like like what we were talking about just earlier, like he had reached that point where he was no longer a consumer. He was a provider. Yeah. He was someone who had such a deep love for his craft that he wanted to share it and bring other people into it. And he did that with me. Um, so that really kickstarted my professional photography. Like everything before was just very personal, very like, oh, mm-hmm. like I want to capture memories. But he opened the door to what it looked like to be a professional and to provide a service. And that created opportunities for me to do everything from commercial photography, wedding photography, uh, event photography, uh, (laughs) maternity photography, just all portraiture, graduation photos. I did it all. I said I said no to nothing. I was like, if it's an opportunity for me to. Uh, be a professional, make money, do the photography thing. I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to do it. Um, So that has always been, for me, a really great technical skill. Because I I went to college, I have my marketing degree, but I really didn't feel like I had any tangible skills Mm -hmm. from my degree. I had a lot of head knowledge and strategic thinking skills, but I didn't feel like I graduated with any technical, tangible skills. Photography was the first one that I was like, ooh, this is something that works well with my marketing degree that I can do and create. Um, and then later on, I added to that. I added graphic design. I added videography. Um, but yeah, photography was my gateway drug into like, oh, I can actually create something for people that they can use. And that was really special. And Even though I did all of those different types of photography, adventure photography and climbing photography was what kept my sacred stoke flame alive. It was the thing that kept me shooting Um, because you can do work. And I think that's really important to distinguish when it comes to any kind of creative skill set. You have... um, Oh, what's the term? Someone, Someone broke this down for me in really beautiful language once. You have um, maybe maybe it was just as simple as saying, well, you have your professional work and your personal work. I think this was a, a TED talk that I listened to, actually. Professional work is the thing that you do to, to pay the bills. Yep. It's, it's something that you you get the job. It is not your own. Typically, you're working on a team. Typically, there are a lot of other opinions that are influencing the creative output. And that's good. That is professional work. It is something that you can do with others for a shared goal in mind, typically. Personal work is the thing that you do to uh, keep you excited, keep you passionate, keep you stoked. And, and the, the example that was used um, in this TED Talk, I believe, was musicians. Mm. Like as a musician, as a professional musician, most of the time you're doing work that's not your own. Whether you're a professional guitar player or someone who's part of a symphony, like you are doing musical work that has been... M- planned or created by someone else and you just show up and you do the thing personal work is the work that like you're just jamming yeah. you, you maybe it's you go to the park and you busk and and you perform for people you do it for fun or you're doing it for yourself you're you're creating a melody you're creating something your own your songwriting like you have to have a balance of both in order to be a sustainable creative because if you do just personal work, odds are 
it's it's very rare that you'll ever be successful. There are a few uh, aficionados who get like they can just grabbed up. They can just do that and they yeah. can make money and that's amazing. But that is so 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 rare. Yeah, there are outliers. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So you can't just do personal work because you you won't be able to pay the bills mm-hmm. more than likely. But you also can't just do professional work because you will burn out, man. You you have to have something that keeps the sacred stoke flame alive. And you have to have the things in your life that provide for you and and create a sustainable infrastructure for you to have a career, whatever it is. So for me, climbing and adventure photography is what keeps that sacred stoke flame alive. Mm, And and any commercial photography work that I do is is made more enjoyable and made more life-giving because i still do the things that give me life that makes sense have you ever read the book uh the book of five rings no i have not uh it's it, it's all about balance so mm-hmm. like when you talk about this this is what i hear in balance and i definitely i know what you mean about professional and personal work it's like I just finished up doing a podcast series. Uh, we're going to record our actual, our last run tomorrow. Cause tomorrow's like Friday, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Alexa and I are going to meet and we're going to record our last uh, closing of her series on that. And her doing an LBGTQ plus takeover of my podcast has been probably one of the biggest growth experiences of like just managing someone else but managing my own content it's honestly it's forced me to step up my own quality and step Mm. up my own work and i've had to learn how to grow and be better at what i'm doing and then i am getting ready to start editing a friend's podcast uh to start working on that and more so just like helping with like composition of how they're going to put it together and things like that they just reached out to me and you know, I'm, I'm, you've listened to my podcast. It's pretty much like cut paste, maybe a few things trims here, but for the most part, you know, when the mic's on, that's what you get. Uh, but I do 100% agree with you because now that I have been, I had the opportunity to work on quote unquote, other people's podcasts, I'm more excited to do my own. Mm. And it is this big balance. You know, one thing I want to double back to, though, that I think you said is really unique. And I don't I don't think I've ever really thought about this is like with the roles on a trip. I've always been in the, the either the operations side of the leader side of it. But then you said it, um, the documentarian. And like, it's interesting. Like, what do you believe? What are all the possible roles of I guess what are the most common roles of the trip? You have the leader, the person who probably planned it all. You have, I guess, the operations person, but I imagine that would be the leader, but I guess not. It doesn't mm. have to be. You have the documentarian. Like what other roles do you think that there usually is filled in on a trip? This concept of like trip roles intrigues me because I don't know. Yeah, but like that, I guess that's my question to you. My question is, is, what do you think are the most common roles that are on these trips? Yeah, I, I don't know that I could say most common. I, I can only really me. speak from my personal experience Hit with me. trips. Um, I can think specifically of, so my friend, uh, I, I went on a trip to Canada a couple of years ago up to Banff National Park. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I went with two friends, Jacob and Cody. Uh, Jacob is our logistics guru. He he can think of every potential circumstance scenario and prepare for that. Okay, love that about him. He's a planner. I I love empowering him into that role and unleashing him into that role. I just I I don't question him ever when okay. it comes to planning because I trust him. That makes sense. Um, and he's proven time and again because he's very good at it. Um, and, and he's prepared for every logistical circumstance. Um, Cody is our qualitative experience manager. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just coin that term right now. He's, he's my friend who is all about having a, a quality, uh, unique, uh, experience to remember. He's, he's my friend who, is just he knows so much about coffee. He's the creative director for a marketing firm. He's uh, he's a great storyteller. He's he knows a ton about food and about music. And anytime we go on a trip together, he's always the one who's like, guys, like I've done my research. Like this is going to be the best experience. We should go to this brewery and then we should go t- to experience charcuterie here. And like anytime we travel, I know that he's going to find the the hike with the best view mm. uh or something like that where i'm like okay like cody has done his research to know that we can do this activity or go to this place or experience this food or beer um so i'm going to trust him to take over that that part of the trip um and then i'm the documentarian like i just want to be really really observant during the trip i want to make sure that any uh serendipitous thing that happens that I capture it. Um, I'll never forget. We, we did another trip to Cochise stronghold in Arizona. And, uh, there was this moment speaking of serendipity where we had just driven in the night before it was very late. It was very dark. Uh, so we just like very quickly set up our tents and I think we forgot to put the, the, rain covers on the flies on yeah um and there was like a dust storm that night and we woke up the next morning and there was just so much sand in our tents and we it was this perfect storm of we're like tired groggy wake up we're all basically still in our underwear and jacob grabbed his tent and just flipped it upside down and is shaking it over his head and he's just standing there in his underwear, just doing this. And I took out my camera and I took a photo of him. And I was like, that's not anything that will ever be like a hero shot for any particular thing. But for me, that is a precious core memory of my friend looking silly as hell doing this random thing because we forgot to put our rain flies on. Uh, yeah, no, I definitely get that. Those are... It's funny. I I love that you capture those moments that are like. You capture the moments that I think most people would just forget, like what you're telling me, people forget to take the camera out because they're too busy in the moment. Mm -hmm. But those are the moments you want to be able to remember because you look at them and you go back from that. Yeah, your trip reminds me of my first trip to Zion with my buddy Cameron and Tucker. And it was we didn't take as many photos of it, but one thing that I did is like, I pulled out my phone after every climb and I probably wrote like three or four paragraphs of like what the trip was. And that's probably honestly 
I think that's like the only bubble I have on my Instagram. Like I don't have like 9 million bubbles and they're curated. Like this is my, you know, this is my workout bubble. This is that bubble. It's like, mine is like, nope, this is the one thing I got because, and like, I haven't had another trip like that. And like, that just makes me pull out my phone and want to just talk about it and talk about that moment. Um, but that's cool. I was, I was curious about that. Cause like, I like that concept of like roles on a trip. And, you know, I think I always just from owning a guiding company, I'm always thinking about like logistics, always, t- you know, like logistics, this, how do we make this happen? How many, how do we get from here to here? These people, this and that, but that's more the creative side of it. And I think that's more of a much more beautiful side of like what the roles actually are and how they actually function. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't think that people think about that. Maybe, maybe they do. Maybe I'm not, I'm just the one who doesn't think about it at all, but I think that's actually a really beautiful way to like plan a trip and think about a trip instead of just thinking about what you're going to do on the trip, but think about like, how are you going to remember this trip? How are you going to like savor this trip? How is it going to be savory in your mind? Mm. It's already sweet because you're doing it, but how do you make it savory? Yeah. I think, how do I qualify this? I, I have loved going on trips consistently with those guys every year. So we try to do an annual desert trip every year, Okay, whether it's Red Rock or Cochise or something. We, we travel consistently together, which is really such a gift because you learn these things. You learn what people are good at. You learn what makes them come alive and what makes them thrive. I would never want to put someone in a box on the beginning of a trip, not knowing them. I would never want to go up to someone and be like, Hey, you're the logistics person. This is the role that I have assigned to you. Yeah. I think when you're traveling like that, it's really important to go into it with an open expectation instead of a like finite expectation to say, Hey, like we're going on this trip together. Maybe if you're traveling together for the first time, say, hey, like these are all the things that need to get done. Let's work as a team to get them done. Mm -hmm. And then you start to see organically like where people start to uh, gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think and and this kind of ties back to photography for, for me, because I could have pursued photography full time. There was a short amount of time where I was just full time freelance. It was my only thing. I tried to, to make that my, uh, career and I learned very quickly that that was not for me. Why? Um, I thrive when I work on a team. Okay. I, I'm not a very good solo act. I'm not a lone wolf. I get very bored very quickly, very lonely, very quickly. And I just work better when I'm on a team. So I I learned that specifically about my work trajectory, um, that I, I needed to be part of a larger picture and I still wanted to be very intentional about that. I wanted to be very proactive about finding stories that I really cared about and missions that I really cared about. Um, so I've been very lucky to consistently find work in the outdoor industry. Um, but I have very much found that I do my best work when I am filling a role that 
I love. And when I'm around people who are filling roles that they love, I'm, I feel very lucky. Our team at the SEC is, is, I mean, absolute power team. Meg, our executive director, is just so logistically talented and thinks through um, all of the the back end mm-hmm. things very well. We were mentioning this earlier, how, how you, you don't enjoy the uh, back end logistics. I'm the same way. I hate back end logistics. I can't think that way. I get very uh, frustrated and uh, just lost when, yeah. when I have to like dig into that. She thrives there. She, she comes alive there. Um, and then our uh, stewardship director, Kate Haynes, she's incredible at uh, rallying volunteers and finding roles for people. And so she's really good at whenever we plan events or plan trail days, she's like, OK, what are the tasks that need to be done and the people who can fill those roles? OK. And then I come in and I'm the Sultan of Stoke. I'm the chief Stoke officer. I can rally people and be the announcer, the the MC and keep the energy high. And whether it's on the front end, like marketing and promoting the event, inviting people, rallying people uh, or during the event when I'm just like getting people hyped up to, to do an activity or buy raffle tickets or uh, play a silly game that we've come up with or or get ready to go climb um one of my one of my favorite moments i've ever experienced jeremy collins mm-hmm. our, one of our favorite artists he's one of the main organizers for 24 hours of horseshoe hell and he's always uh the the announcer at the beginning he like gathers everyone around and has them recite this climber's creed and yeah. he has this persona gordo that he like <laughs> leans into and and that was really inspirational to me as a young climber i was like this guy is standing up in front of hundreds of people getting them psyched out of their minds to suffer for 24 hours that's incredibly powerful and wonderful and beautiful. And I get to experience a small piece of that when I do SEC events, whether it's one of our film nights or one of our outdoor climbing competitions or the BYOB fundraiser that we do every year. Mm -hmm. I love leaning into that part of the role. So I'm, I'm really thankful for my team because the incredible work that they do on their side of things that they're very good at we, we talk about this all the time when when we're doing our team meetings, the work that we do as individuals empowers our co-workers to do the work that they do. Like I could not do the work that I'm doing, telling stories, getting people stoked, getting people to care deeply about our rock climbing resources. If Meg was not doing her behind the scenes wizardry of access uh, advocacy, or if Kate was not doing her stewardship work of planning trail days and and taking care of the fixed hardware needs at our climbing areas, or building trails, um, it feels like such a gift to be on such a team of people mm-hmm. who are working together towards the same mission, but doing so in their unique, powerful uh, ways and skills. So how did this transition into shooting for USA Climbing and now for you shooting for the very first time ever in history that that the IFSC is hosting Youth Worlds in the United States here in Dallas, Texas? 
like how did like it was i guess yeah what was the transition for you to like get this job or is it just kind of a referral or someone is like yo caleb is the dopest mother motherfucker <laughs> on the planet it was a little bit of all of that so nice. i i refer to myself as a serial opportunist <laughs> <laughs> i so just like, like I have a thought and I have a plan and I have an idea of what my future is going to be, but I never really like commit to that or like set in stone. Like this is what I'm going to do with my life. No, I mean, I don't think you're supposed to, I think life is like an ocean. It's yeah. like, it's like life is like an ocean and the winds. Like you kind of like, like you're trying to get to another place. You're trying to get to a land that you know exists. But at the end of the day, you kind of go, you have to go the way the wind blows and the mm -hmm. ocean goes. You'll get there, yeah. but you, you don't get to go in a straight line. Yeah. So for me, that meandering ocean faring line uh, was I started working with the SEC, but I still wanted to keep like a small portion of my personal photography business alive. So I do the occasional freelance job. I shoot the occasional wedding for a friend. Um, so I always just have that work kind of in the background. And, uh, last year, a good, my old boss from the climbing gym that I used to work at, um, he was the marketing director. I was the marketing manager. Um, he is the new marketing director for USA climbing. Mm. So when he stepped into that role, he, he hit me up and he was like, Hey, Caleb, like you're an amazing photographer. I love working with you. You're a friend. I would love to, uh, book you to shoot the occasional USA climbing event. Is that something you'd even be interested in doing? And I said, because I'm a serial opportunist. Yes, of course. I would love that. That sounds amazing. So, uh, the first gig that I ever did for USA climbing was a couple months ago. I shot, um, uh, collegiate nationals in Philadelphia mm -hmm. and it was such a great experience. I loved working with the USA climbing team. I loved the high action, fast paced energy of shooting a comp, a multi-day comp at that level. Um, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's long I mean, days. Yeah, you're, on the go. you're on the go and moving at the speed that these competitions do, you have to be so attentive and so observant and so on your game for 12 hours a day for multiple days in a row. But I thrive in that chaos. I love that chaotic energy and the space that I can fill in that energy because I get to create so much. I'm taking thousands of photos and editing so quickly and turning them around so quickly. But I get to see how happy that makes these climbers who mm -hmm. a lot of them who don't get past qualifiers or get past semis, they get to walk away from this comp with with not much but they get that photo mm -hmm. they get to say like oh this was this was my experience i was there um and that's really special and i really am honored that i get to to be there for climbers in that way so now uh th this was this is basically my second gig through usac ben hit me up and was like hey would you like to photograph youth worlds and i was like ben of course duh i would absolutely love to do that I think I'm just going to go ahead and say this around your second event for yeah. USAC is shooting you for us. Talk about hitting it out of the park. I'm, I'm doing my dang best. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you're doing all right, playboy. Yeah, I think you're doing real good. Yeah. I like something you just said really kind of resonated with me. 
you know, like thriving in chaos. Mm. And I really do firmly believe like that's like a mantra that I think a lot of people should be able to take in, especially climbers. Like if you can learn how to thrive in chaos, if you can learn how to manage chaos, if you can learn how to succeed in chaos, the world turns into a playground. Yeah. The world turns into anything like the world just turns into a sheer opportunity mm-hmm. like everything is opportunity because most people what we perceive to be as chaos is another person's manageable and another person's manageable is and another person's chaos is that's that it's like the old saying one man's trash is another man's treasure mm-hmm. you know and um i think that's a really 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 powerful statement because as climbers you know that is something that theoretically speaking we should be able to do like you know like when like when the get gets getting and we all know that moment and whether it's like mountain biking climbing hiking trail running ultra marathon running climbing whatever like we all know that moment where it's like this is getting a little out of hand this is getting a little on the wild side like i feel like i'm truly on the sharp end but if you can always bring that back to, um, and I'm not saying bring it back to like calm it down or bring it back to reality, because that's not how it works. Like, like I don't want to say that because saying it's come back to reality is just the stupidest thing you can ever say in the world. Because you're literally on the edge of your own reality, pushing yourself there. I think the thing is, is if you can manage that situation, that especially as us as athletes, we're managing the chaos in our own mm. head. And so then when that chaos is external Mm. and we're just like, oh, okay, rolling through it. And this thing I think, and I, this is personally what I think a lot of people, why a lot of people like climbing is people are like, I'm working on this crazy hard problem. I'm doing this thing. It just seems impossible. I'm not that. And then they go to work and their boss or their life is like, and they're like, you have no idea what I was doing earlier today. (laughs) You have no idea what I'm going to thrash myself and destroy myself and give myself so much mental anguish. And then I'm going to dream about this boulder. I'm going to dream about this route. Mm. And it's going to cause me so much angry anger. And then I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning. I'm like, that's the beta. Like, the rest of it is small fries. Mm. And I don't know. I think that's a skill set that climbers have and it like really have. I really don't think that we harness enough. Nikki Smith really said this really well recently in a podcast with me and Alexa. It's like, and actually another person who said it is, um, oh my God, her name is escaping me. Oh my gosh. Hold on. Give me two seconds. Five, four. It will come to me in a minute. We'll, we'll keep talking and you'll yeah, remember yeah, yeah. in like five I just, minutes. She's a tattoo artist. Fully tattoo. Marina? Yes. Oh, I love Marina. Marina's great. Yeah. Marina, if you're listening to this, hey, girl. Big fan. We love you. No, always forever. Um, But Matt, Marina and I talked about this in a podcast like a while back. Like we as climbers, and I think all of us are saying this, but I just don't think it's really being said or done. And maybe it's just us who have been in a while but we inherently have the skills like like we literally seek out doing the hardest. We, we are literally trying to make the hardest climb, the hardest thing possible that we're trying to do. We're trying to do it in the easiest way possible, the most efficient way possible in a way that allows us to have the most amount of gas in the tank emotionally, spiritually and physically. Mm. And maybe there's some random fourth 
you know, chakra out there that I don't know about, but we're trying to have that much extra fuel in. And I think if we as just people getting back to this, this long rant is boiling down to this. It's like, I love how you say like, like just managing chaos, because I think that's what allows us to succeed as climbers. And I think that's what allows us to succeed and be so tenacious with projects. You know, you're like, you're a serial opportunist. You also are doing this as the SAC, SSC, blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? A lot of letters. Yeah. A lot of letters are going on here. Um, and then, yeah, cause I'm thinking of like USAC, IFSC, SEC, uh, like AAC. There's a lot, there's too many C. Can we take the C out of a situation here? <laughs> too many like, C's. Yeah. I mean, I, we all know it's climbing. Can we just mm-hmm. say it's like rad or something? Change a letter or something? I don't know. We're going, we're going sideways here. But, um, I do think that's a unique, uh, I think that's a unique skill that exists within the adventure sport world mm. because like. I don't know. I'm just now really thinking about it. Like you have to manage the chaos or the yeah. chaos gets you. And you or you at least have God. to be capable of managing the chaos when the time arises. Can I get super nerdy Hit for me. a second? Hit me with the one time. Uh, so one of my favorite book series is the uh, Dune series by Frank Herbert. Yes. Classic. And uh, in that book series, there is this uh, mantra known as the litany against fear and it's typically recited in high stress situations um but it goes like this i will not fear no sorry i must not fear fear is the mind killer i will face my fear and i will permit it to pass through me fear is the little death that brings total obliteration and when the storm has passed i will turn my inner eye to see that the fear is gone and only I will remain. I actually have that tattooed on my body. Only I will remain. Yeah. But that, so, so I started reading that book series as a young kid. I read it with my dad and that litany against fear was a very formative early concept of that chaos management for me Mm -hmm. because I was able to use that as a framework for, high stress situations like anything whether it was climbing or tough relationship or Mm -hmm. stress with school or work i would be able to like kind of conceptualize with this like arbitrarily silly science fiction thing but really truly meaningful to me in a very deep way this idea of fear is a storm that Mm -hmm. i have the opportunity to weather And if I can weather that storm and pass through that chaos and get to the other side, I will be the stronger for it. I will have been forged stronger by that experience, whatever it may be. And I think that has been a a truly, truly a guiding light for me in my life to say, okay, I'm receiving this chaotic energy, whatever it may be, whatever Mm -hmm. it may manifest as I'm going to not quarantine it mm-hmm. in my mind. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to react strongly to whatever this chaos is. I'm going to create a space for it. I'm going to hold it, process it and move through it. And whatever yeah. that journey looks like, whatever that moving through looks like, whether it's 
being emotionally raw for a little while or being vulnerable with someone. I'm going to move through that chaos to get to the other side and say, okay, I experienced that thing, whatever it was. Here's my uh, personal experience of what I had. Mm -hmm. How do I take that energy and manifest it into something next? What is the next step from that chaotic energy? And I think it's been cool to experience a pretty broad range of chaos in my life, whether it's a broken leg or shooting a comp or uh, experiencing tumultuous relationships or a 2020 pandemic. I don't know. Like chaos comes in many forms and we have to uh, recognize that as humans, we are resilient creatures. I think resilience has been something that I've been meditating on recently to say that or, or to own that I mm-hmm. have resilience, yeah. that I can survive things. It's pretty special to be able to say, like, I am capable of receiving whatever the world gives me and mm-hmm. making it through that and coming out on the other side, hopefully a better person. That's beautiful. It's very beautiful. I'm not going to lie, though. Loki can go back in his box for a little bit because it's been a little wild. <laughs> Screw, like that last four, Screw like, that motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Get I mean, out of here. Yeah, no. Um, you know, that's, it's, yeah, no, that is a very beautiful thing. And I think, and I, I like how you put that and you wrap that up in a nice, beautiful package. One person that you've mentioned a lot in this podcast, maybe it's just maybe not a lot, but at least two or three times you mentioned your dad and your parents. Hmm. Um, like what role have they really played? I mean, obviously bringing you into this world. Yeah. You know, like that's a doing, given. doing the deed. <laughs> but like, you know, you, you know, you mentioned... Shout out them. to mom and dad for bringing two together because we don't know how. Hopping on the good foot, doing the bad thing. Um, but yeah, no, you've mentioned them and it's always kind of been in correlation to, I don't remember the, ex, like the exact phrases that you're saying. And obviously we can go back and listen to this later, but essentially it boils down to this. Uh, one of my good friend, Taylor, who is about to be a proud mama, if she isn't already a mama right now, because that thing's hot in the oven ready to come out you know she said something to me in a very um tumultuous time in my life you know mario you can't go around over and under it's only through and i feel like anytime you talked about anything monumental in your life you've brought up your parents and so like how have they played like a role in like your development in all of this and what you're doing. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they're very proud of you. I would be, I'd be like, this is my boy. You see this? He's doing good. And I made this, but, um, like, yeah. What, what are they to you? Ooh, we're about to get vulnerable. Um, I mean, we don't have to, boo. No, 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 this no. is your show as much no. as it is mine. Let's do it. Um, so Diving I'll preface, <laughs> diving deep into the river now (laughs) hallelujah um i'll preface with this i love my parents deeply they are very special people in my life and i wouldn't be who i am today without them obviously um growing up all i really had was my parents and my brother because we lived out in the middle of nowhere so older younger younger brother Um, so I'm, I grew up the oldest of two. Um, 
And yeah, we were all just very close. Uh, we spent a lot of time together. We did a lot of things together. We went on trips together. We spent a lot of time in the North Carolina mountains, mm. loved going there uh, every summer. Um, went to El Salvador quite a lot because that's where my mom is from. Okay. So a lot of Christmases in the tropics, which was always super fun. Not, no one's um, complaining about that. Yeah, nobody's complaining about that. Uh, and I'm very proud of my Latino heritage as well as my American family. Um, but I always took great pride in the fact that I was of diverse heritage. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say the role that my parents have in my life was very influential in my formative years as an adult, not so much. So they instilled a lot of love and a lot of care and a lot of um, depth in me growing up, which I will forever be grateful for, because I think growing up in a house like that, it was nothing was ever surface level. Everything was always very like, hot. let's unpack this. Like, let's dive into the depths of what you're feeling. Like, let's have a very safe emotional space. Like I, I feel very blessed to have had such loving, caring, nurturing parents, very nurturing. Gosh, my dad is like, that's the first thing. The first way I describe my dad always is like, he was a very nurturing father. Um, Unfortunately, while I was in college, my parents separated and that really turned our family dynamic upside down, put it into a blender, put that blender inside of a hurricane, put that hurricane inside of a black hole and just like really messed everything up, which I had to mourn. I had to go through a season where I really was unwell because of how my parents separated, how they managed, that was really unhealthy. And that was a big catalyst for me learning that my parents were humans, which is an important lesson, I think. I think it's really critical I, that I, in our I, developmental process as people, we learn that our parents are human. And it's really unfortunate that I learned it in that way, but I went through a season where I really resented my parents and really did not want to be related to them and feel very lucky that we have since rebuilt our relationships with each other and have reconciled in many ways, but our relationships are just fundamentally different now. And I think it's unfortunate that as an adult, when I have come into what I would call my thriving years, where I'm really finding my identity as a person. I'm really getting deep into what is fulfilling in my life. I don't get to share that with them as much. Um, they know, they know that I love my why job. Don't you, why don't you get to share it with them as much? Is it because you don't want to? And I only am, I only ask this question because how old were you when your parents separated? I was 21. So I was 23 when my parents separated mm -hmm. and it's a weird time. It's a weird time for it your is, parents. It is. <laughs> so, okay. So I say, I take it back. I was 23. 
But my parents had already been separated for like a year to maybe mm. two years. They just never told me, me and my brothers. Oh, wow. Like we had no idea. Wow. And all of a sudden, like I got a phone call from my brother and he's like, did you know? And I'm like, yeah. Like, what are you even talking about? My experience was very similar. Yeah, very it's similar. wild. Yeah. Isn't it really wild with that? Because like, but you, that's, I, I was, the only way I can describe it is I was so bewildered. But then I, I don't know, man, I had so much empathy for my mom and my dad, because at the end of the day, I was like, you know something, my mom and my dad are my heroes. Mm. They're the most superhero people in my entire life. I love them. I cherish them. In my mind, they can do no wrong even when they do wrong. But it was at that moment that I had to realize that they are two separate individuals. Yep. And they are two separate people with two separate passions, joys, happiness. And it was the first time that it was the first time that I had had to one, look at my parents at two separate individual people, not just my parents. Two, I had to take in consideration the content and the character and the thing of their own hearts. And three, it was the first time I really, honestly, truly I had to ask my question, well, what do they, like, what does my mother want? What does my father want? Mm. Because it was always like, I don't know. I think as their, as their children, you immediately think, oh, I know what they want. But what they, what I think I know what they want is really what I want to give to them because I am their child, because I know them, because I have known them for my whole life. And what I want to give them is what they really want. But I am not them. And it's just like this really like hard hitting heavy moment. I remember it took me a couple days to kind of like wrap my brain around like. Like what? Yeah. It's wild, man. Yeah, I. Family's weird. Family's a wacky thing. I think and it's supposed to be that way. Yeah, I, I have this conversation pretty regularly with friends that family is is just a challenging thing and i've had to process this very deeply over the years that family looked a certain way for me growing up and family looks very different now and because you're older or do you think the example has changed i think it's just circumstance i think seasons the seasonality of life is a very real thing. And I think if we try okay. to yeah. rebel against that, we'll, we'll put ourselves in a lot of hurt. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if, if we instead embrace the seasonality of life, we can better glean the value from it. Um, and I say all of that to say, I, I have experienced two very distinct seasons of family one very like idyllic wonderful growing up way one very tumultuous uh crazy wacky hurtful but also redemptive way and what that has done for me is created an expectation for my future that there will probably be more different unique seasons further down the line so 
I hope that I'm preparing myself emotionally, spiritually, my character so that I can be resilient and weather that change because my hope someday is that I have my own family and who knows what challenges I will face or my family will face together in those times. And I don't know, I'm, I can't predict the future. Maybe I'll go through a similar season that my parents did. And I think it's really important for us to prepare ourselves emotionally for those changes, not, not hamstring ourselves or, and, and not like, uh, Oh, what's, what's the, what's the term where you predict something for yourself and then you create that reality. Oh. Self-fulfilling prophecy. That's what it is. Self-fulfilling prophecy. That, that is what we don't want. Mm-hmm. What we want is to be prepared for potential eventualities. But don't set yourself up for failure by just expecting that you're going to have brokenness. Brokenness is inevitable. We, oh gosh, have you seen the spoilers? Spoilers are about to happen. Have you seen the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once yet? No. Dude, watch it. Oh my God, it's so good. Okay. Um, so good in the sense that it poses very deep emotional questions and and unpacks them in a very unique way. Production-wise, plot-wise, questionable whether it's going to be a great movie or not neither here nor there that's subjective to each person's experience i really enjoyed the family dynamic of that movie because it is very raw and very real and very emotional and there's no like really amazing tie it up in a bow resolution to it it's very messy and it's very honest and i think it it poses that question of time and future and adds the element of alternative realities so you you get that experience of like ooh, what if what if this happened or this happened that could potentially change how our family dynamic would have been so one of the punchlines to the movie is nothing matters and you can take that and you could receive that statement and say "Ooh, nothing matters therefore i'm not going to care about anything Nothing matters. Therefore, I'm going to abandon everything, abandon morality, abandon purpose, abandon life, whatever that may be. Nothing matters. Therefore, I do not matter. Or you could say nothing matters. There is freedom to be found there. Nothing matters. So I will take advantage of every opportunity. I will seek out new opportunities if something isn't working for me nothing matters therefore i can have the freedom to experience different things and not worry about the consequences i think that's beautiful because you it's a it's funny it's it's perspective it's perspective, it's personality, it's kind of you, your take on it and your life experience. It's funny when you were giving all these examples of nothing matters, this to me, what if you were to tell me in life, well, Mario, nothing matters in life. Okay. Well, I'm unabashedly, uncontrollably 
gonna love on you. I'm gonna uncombash, unabashfully, uncontrollably, going to give all the affection that I want. At the same time, I will also rage that want, you know, because if it doesn't matter, what do I have to lose? That's it. That's it. What do you have to lose? I have, and you know, and and I think the flip side of that is since I have nothing to lose, I have everything to gain. And I don't know. Another thing too, it's funny. Have you heard? I, I think it was so beautiful when you're talking about your parents and how that whole experience goes to you. Have you heard the sounds of the black hole yet? I have not, no. Oh my God, bro. <laughs> bro. When you were talking about like how your whole world collapsed. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite comedians, Tony Baker, talks about it. He was like, this is exactly how a black hole just sound eerie. So hold on. Let me see if I oh can boy. do this here. I don't know if I'm prepared for this. Oh no, dude. It was so weird and eerie. Okay. This is, this is not it. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and. So I'm going to play the sound of a black hole. But I'll actually cut it out and see if I can snag it from the internet and not get yelled at for it. But this is the sounds of a black hole. Sounds like the abyss of Hades and hell drawing everyone into it. But it's so it's like it's funny when you were talking about that. I literally in the moment you said that I've listened to this sounds like four or five times. And I think it's just so unique. But like a black hole sucks everything into it. Nothing escapes it. Everything, even light gravity itself is pulled into it. And then when you talk about sadness, mm. Wow, this is heavy. Okay, so um, I'm just going to run with this here. When you talk about your whole reality just being broken and changed and the foundation that you've known your whole life, and all of a sudden, it's just ripped out from underneath you, that sound to me is a cross between sadness and wailing and a tornado that does not spin things upward but it spins things inward and it's this sound that like just lets you know that like this is the end but the beauty of it is and I, this is as silly as it is is it's funny i was watching this i can't remember the name of the tv show on netflix but this um i think it was like the sandman or the dreams or whatever it is and he's fighting lucifer who's played as a woman. And, um, you know, it's like, I am a black hole. I am death. I am the destroyer. And it's like, what can, what can def defeat a black hole? What can defeat anything? What can defeat the end of time, the end of life? And the only thing is hope. I think hope combined with love and compassion, but bottom line, it's hope. And I think, you know, as, you know, as two grown men here, just like thinking about our families and things like that, you know, it's like, 
I think that's what I had to have. I know, I know for me, that's what I kind of had to have for my own parents. Like I had to hope that they were making the right decision for themselves. Cause regardless of however I felt and regardless of however I, whatever I thought, it, it doesn't matter. I just have to hope, but I do need to acknowledge how I feel and that sound was like so synonymous when I heard it. Cause I was like, why does this remind me of so many things? And ultimately it reminds me of so many things. Cause we are a part of the universe. We are just matter. We are stardust. At the end of the day, we are made of the same thing that the stars, the universe and the rest of the galaxy is made out of. The only difference is, is we're, we're combined a little differently, but yeah, man. When right when you said that, I just like that sound was playing in my head, and I was like, "Oh my god, why is this here? Why does this seem so serendipitous?" And mm. it's like they match. Mm. Yeah, that was harrowing. <laughs> Listening to that, I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's I'm heavy. getting sucked in." I yeah. think. I've I've seen that show, The Sandman. It's so good. And and that specific scene is so amazing because you you get to experience that full story arc of beginning in a challenge and that challenge just escalating and escalating and escalating. And ultimately kind of following that that hero's journey of down to like despair. Mm-hmm. And from that despair rising into climax of hope and i think what's been cool and and what i'm so thankful about this season of my life my girlfriend and i have recently have been chatting pretty often about how who we are now it's so special to reflect on what our younger teenage selves hoped for and and think about how we are living that hope and living that dream mm-hmm. like for her one of her things was she really wanted to have a beautiful home and a beautiful space and a dog and a cat and a really like great community in in our hometown or in her hometown she grew up in Chattanooga and she has all of those things she had we have a beautiful home we have a dog named Basil and a cat named Jack and we have a really great community in Chattanooga and for me, my my hope as a as a young teenager was very much centered around this idea of I didn't have an identity. So my hope as a young kid was I really want to find a passion and I really want to have a community that cares deeply about me that I also care deeply about. And I also want to have long hair and tattoos. <laughs> so here I am as a 30 year old and I have those things, man. I have yeah. passion. I have two passions, really. I have photography and I have climbing. I have these things that fulfill my soul and give me life and keep that sacred stoke flame alive. And I also have a wonderful community of people that I care deeply about that have taken care of me uh, in really meaningful ways while I've been injured. Um, I have long hair and I have tattoos. So I think for, for us as a, as a, as a couple, we really have enjoyed 
kind of extrapolating that thought of hope to the next step. So like Mm -hmm. here we are kind of at the middle, we have manifested this feeling of hope and these desires for our future to where we are now. What are we doing and what are we hoping for, for the future? And who knows, maybe we can manifest it. Maybe we can create this reality of continued hope. And one of those things for me is I, I have this vision for my future uh, that is kind of built around the the uh, pre what's the word um, predetermined predestined. no not premeditated uh, it one of the critical necessary pieces of this is that I live somewhere for a long period of time okay um, so for me right now that's Chattanooga like I very intentionally moved to Chattanooga Tennessee how long have you been there now. Oh, I moved there in 2017. So math, five years, mm-hmm. five years. Um, I I have this vision for being an established member of a community mm-hmm. that I know and am known by my community. I understand and, that. Yeah, because I, that I and I think the reason I hope for that is because I see very specific people in my community that I love dearly, people that I would consider mentors, people that I would consider like very valuable members of our community. And, and I think to myself, Ooh, I hope that someday I can be of similar value. I want to be someone in my climbing community, hopefully specifically in Chattanooga that, has consistently added value in a way that when I look back on 30, 40 years of life lived, that I can, can feel that I am an established member of the community because I see the impact that is done by people like that. Mm-hmm. Because I think, I think we've romanticized the dirtbag nomad life. It's, it's valuable. It's great. It's cool. It's fun. I really want to dig deep roots down and invest time, energy, money, life into a place to consistently be improving it. Mm. And, and I think what's cool, and, and we've kind of mentioned this a couple of times as we've been chatting, the time that we're in now, specifically in the climbing industry, is really cool because we, have, we are receiving the baton from the generation before us, the developers, the people who have kind of established what climbing looks like, especially here in the States, it's still pretty young by meta standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are receiving it from that previous generation. And now we get to hold the the baton and carry it this next leg. So what are we going to do with that? What are we going to uh bring to the table how are we going to steward this time that the climbing industry is in are we going to improve it are we going to create sustainable infrastructure so that it's supported and survives this next season or are we just going to take advantage of the resources that we have available to us and say screw the next generation i think that's a challenge that's a that's a challenge that i really often try to bring to to new climbers is say hey yeah this is super fun glad you're stoked what are you doing to be involved because i think we're well past the point of casual involvement in this sport 
Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a unique journey for everyone. If you want to be a, a casual climber and just have it as part of your lifestyle, whatever. But if you're going to claim status as a climber, you really need to think deeply and and hard about what it means to be a a good steward of our climbing resources. When is that point? Do you think for most climbers, like when is that point? Because you can't, you know, if I just bought my first pair of shoes, you can't ask me that question. That no, doesn't, that's absolutely not, not reality. You haven't developed the love. You haven't developed the. But like, when do you think that kind of is? Is that like when I'm taking my first outdoor trip? Is that when I want to? join my first like climbing coalition like just just for the listener base like like when is that i'm a big fan of leap before you're ready like Mm -hmm. i you know a friend of mine chelsea chelsea murr uh murrin oh my god hold on hold on we're gonna we're gonna get this correct and then i can just edit out my my mistake here hold on I have to know this now. Murrin. Yeah. A friend of mine, Chelsea Murrin, um, said this. It's like, is something that we were talking and she really mentioned this to me. She was like, something she learned is like, you have to run before the universe pushes you and jump before the universe shoves you. And but there's a moment, I think, before that where we all know or you begin to know. It's like, you know, it's like the tide's kind of coming in, but it's not really coming in. It's like, but it's like you working for the SEC, like, when do you see that moment is for new climbers? When do you kind of see that moment happening? When should someone, you know, leap before they're ready? This is an interesting question. And just based on my very raw reaction to that question, I I don't know that there's necessarily a specific time or a specific catalyst that I can think of because everyone's journey is different. But what I would respond to that question is that it's never too early to plant a seed. It's never too early to have a conversation okay. with someone and say, hey, you're getting into rock climbing. That's rad. Why are you stoked? What do you love? Are you a boulder? Are you a sport climber? You're a track climber. Start the conversation, lead that into potentially planting a seed and saying, Hey, have you thought about this? What, what are your feelings around stewardship? Did you know that access is not free and finding ways to incorporate into the conversation of new climbers at any time? Really, mm-hmm. it could be their first time in the gym. It could be their first time outside um, and planting that seed and treating it like that cultivating mentality of pl- of gardening, because you, you can't expect to to harvest the fruit of of a tomato seed. Initially, you have to wait. You have to let it grow. And that growth is dependent on a lot of factors. It's it's dependent on access. So if someone gets to climb often enough, it's dependent on gear. If if they have the the socioeconomic status to support getting into the sport, um, it yeah, there's a lot of it, community having a, a stable and consistent community of people who will also do this crazy thing with you. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of factors there that 
contribute to someone being willing and able to engage with climbing sustainability at a meaningful level. But like I said, it's never too early to plant the seed of what hopefully will eventually grow into deeply caring about a resource that has potentially impacted their life in a meaningful way. And I think for me, when I was first starting to climb, if someone had had that conversation with me in the first year that I started climbing, it would have meant nothing to me. It would have just like gone, gone over my head and I would have been like, Ooh, access is at at risk, whatever, dude, I'm just climbing at this woody in my college and occasionally going outside to this like County park. I guess it's fine, whatever. But over the years of climbing and seeing the certain climbing areas closed down and losing access to climbing areas and seeing those photos of boulders getting actively blown up. I started to learn and have context for this is a really meaningful thing to see. I don't want this to ever happen to me. I also don't want it to ever happen to future generations of people. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do what I can as I'm able to to influence that story and when i was working for a climbing gym it was uh inviting the sec to come to events it was uh being a guide and a teacher and taking people on their first climbing trip outside and teaching them the ethics very very like organically i never was an official guide i never had my like amga certification or whatever but I like i would a, don't worry about I, it yeah I have my opinions <laughs> for the record on that. Yeah, um we'll get that's another episode yeah i but i i took those opportunities to to have conversations with people and say hey like maybe don't traipse through the woods mm-hmm. off Agreed. trail maybe don't poop right next to the trail or in that water maybe if your dog is sensitive to uh stimulus maybe leave them at home because mm-hmm. i had i was bitten by a dog at the crag like that's a whole other conversation but i, was, I, I think in, go ahead sorry. sorry um when it comes to climbing ethics and climbing stewardship we have to recognize that everyone's journey is different they're on different time stamps on that journey so take the opportunity to have the conversation just don't expect the result that you want immediately agreed agreed i think i think that yeah no that that's actually a beautiful answer to it because i think that's like a one thing too it's like especially with people like us who have been it and for a while it's like i don't know sometimes i think it's easy to put the horse before the, uh, the carriage before the horse or however that phrase goes. Um, Horses, carts, whatever. Yeah. yeah things, things. Um, because you want people to care and you want them to be involved. Yes. And what you want doesn't mean they're going to drink the Kool-Aid. So that I will say this, you know, in this little conversation that we've been having, which has been a couple hours, which has been blowing by, I would say you're well on your way to your goal. You're well on your way to planting roots because that's what I've wanted to be here in Texas. Like at one point in time, I told myself, I was like, I want to be known as Mr. Rock climbing of Texas. Like if you think of Texas rock climbing, you think of me and people might wonder why that is. And it's, you know, it's not for fame. It's not for fortune. It's for influence. It's for legitimate influence. So I can, 
once again, protect, preserve, and keep these places that we like to go and make sure they're there. I want the influence to be able to walk into counties and towns that have amazing access to rock climbing and have amazing things. And these like, you know, these towns like Joe's Valley that are in Texas that are slowly dying because kids are moving and people aren't coming back, but they have access to, they probably have some of the world's greatest mountain biking and some of the world's greatest climbing and some of the world's greatest trail running. And they could have all these great events and all these things here. Like that's the reason why I want this. And it involves me building roots. It involves me building community. And, you know, I, I, I see your vision and I see it because it's like much and one of the same, like in a lot of ways we're kindred spirits in that way. Um, I do, we're, we're going to have a future conversation. This is just how it needs to roll, but you are shooting the F, uh, the IFSC world cup tomorrow today youth worlds yeah youth worlds today it is currently today one o'clock it is one twelve. T- today is uh the beginning of speed qualifiers yeah so yeah. thank god uh it will be i have no idea what that's going to be for you but i know what it's going to be for me um because i'm going to still be coaching kids and they're going to be running around in a different gym today but that's not important what's important right now is how can people find you support you get in touch with you or if you want to remain an anonymous ghost, you're more, you're more than welcome to do that. It's your life. You can live it the best way you want. But if people do want to get in touch with you, if they do want to support you, or they do want to get in touch with the SEC and support the SEC, how do they do that? Uh, we live in a digital age where mm-hmm. we have access to information and content in a variety of ways. I would say the easiest and selfishly the the way that i will respond fastest is instagram um so my everyone yeah so my instagram is caleb timmerman photo um i don't have a personal instagram i only have my photography and my i also have a wedding photography page and then i also have the sec page so the sec is s e climbers is our instagram Okay. Um, so that's social media, but you can also find us. I have a website, Caleb to Uh, our, the sec website is seclimbers.org. Um, yeah, I, I had a friend who told me long ago, uh, never doubt the power of a casual email. And I have taken that to heart and, want to extend that invitation to others as well. Like if you have a question, if you have a thought, if you have a conversation that you want to have, reach out, talk, ask a question. And, and that's true for anyone because we mentioned this earlier in the climbing industry stage that we're at now, there's a really solid chance that we are one, maybe two degrees of separation away from someone Mm -hmm. that we want to be connecting with and want to be learning from Mm -hmm. or want to be having a conversation with. So shamelessly reach out, be honest about what you want to, to chat about or what Mm -hmm. you, Mm -hmm. what you want to share. I serendipitously ran into, um, Oh no, blanking on her name. Um, here in in Texas. Oh, not Brooke Rabatou, strong climber, 
she's really known for recovering from injuries. Oh, oh, that 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 uh, that does not narrow oh, no. it down. Oh, what's her name? Crap, I have to remember this. This is what you did earlier. Give me yeah, five seconds. Yeah, no. Five, um, four, the athlete, three, parent, adult, coach. Athlete. Ooh. Um, really strong. That doesn't narrow down either. Like, we're um, literally at the World Cup. Yeah. Gosh, what is her name? Crap. Um, I don't know. I wish I could help you there, but I haven't okay. been at the event. Yeah. What team? USA? No, she's older. She's an older climber, uh, probably around our age. Um, crap. Local or from here? She's visiting family. I think she lives in Colorado. I mean, as all do. Yeah. But family lives here? Yep. Alex? Puccio. Alex. Nailed it. Yeah, I was about to say. I was yes. saying, as soon as you said family here, I was like, you're talking about Alex. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'm going to circle back. Um, had a very serendipitous <laughs> conversation with Alex Puccio because she's here for mm-hmm. Youth Worlds. And I just saw her from across the way and I was like, oh my God, that's Alex Puccio. And I'd, I had that moment where I was like, I could either just like not engage or I could approach and have a conversation with this person that I've looked up to for years and been inspired by. And so I just did that. I I went up and I said, Hey, Alex, I'm Caleb. And she's like, Oh my God, it's so nice to meet you. So she was just very kind, very approachable. And I told her, I was like, Hey, like I broke my leg nine months ago. And honestly, you've been one of the most inspirational people as I've been recovering and healing because you have a tenacity in recovering and and getting strong again that is really inspirational to me. So I, I tell that story to say, I think it's really important for people to not be afraid of reaching out and mm-hmm. taking an opportunity to, to communicate, whether it's Instagram, whether it's a phone call, whether it's an email, just reach out to people who you're inspired by, whether that's me or you, Mario or Alex Puccio or Jeremy Collins or shoot Alex. Yeah. There's a lot of inspirational humans out there and we get stronger as a community and as a collective when we engage actively with people that inspire us. I would agree. I would agree wholeheartedly. And I think, it's one of those things like you never know too. You yeah. never know. Like, oh, yeah. like with my podcast too, people are always like, how do you get the guests that you do? It's like, I just ask people. And like some people like literally have been like, oh, I didn't realize you messaged me like a year ago. I'd love to be. I was I'm like, sure. Okay. I'm like, I'm psyched. When are you going to be in Dallas or when are you going to be here? Or, you know, we'll do it remotely. But I 100% agree with you. It's like, you have no idea. And most people will be accessible in some way, shape, or form. So that's it. Well, sir, we both have a day tomorrow. Um, I'm happy that you that we could uh, share dinner, share mezcal, and uh, create beautiful memories. This has been a delight. Thank you for having me. Um, ooh. We'll do it next time. It's too late. We'll, 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 we'll ask these. I <laughs> keep on like thinking. Two. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you guys are beautiful. Good night. Cheers. Or good morning. I do this all the time. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Caleb. I cannot stop smiling from ear to ear. And, um, yeah, it was a blessing. It was a homie. It was a friend. And I'm happy you got to be a, a fly on the wall in my journey in making friendships. If you haven't already, please like, follow, subscribe to this podcast. Leave a comment because if it touched you as much as it touched me and tickled me, I think it's worth saying. And we're on Patreon. We share more stories like this and things that we're doing there. So, uh, yeah, catch us out. But I hope you enjoyed it. And remember, if you're not suffering, are you even sending it all?